Hey, Podcast Brunch Club. A quick thanks to our organizational partners. Lentigua Williams & Company, the production team behind podcasts like Latina to Latina, 70 Million, and Feeling My Flow. Podchaser, the IMDb of podcasts that offers amazing search and list creation. Audioboom, a podcast network featuring funny, inspiring, entertaining, and thought-provoking podcasts. The Venn, which puts out a weekly playlist on the political issues surrounding the 2020 U.S. election. Critical Frequency, an all-women-owned and operated podcast network for independent creators and those who are often overlooked in mainstream media. And Listen Notes, a powerful podcast search engine that also offers list creation. Go find these companies. They are great for both content and discovery, and they support and give back to the listener community. If you're an individual or an organization and you want to support the amazing listener community that is Podcast Brunch Club, think about becoming a supporter. Go to patreon.com slash podcast brunch club. Hi, Podcast Brunch Club, and welcome to the latest episode of the PBC Podcast. As a quick reminder for anyone new here, Podcast Brunch Club is like book club, but for podcasts. Every month, our global community listens to a short thematic podcast listening list. And then small groups, also known as chapters, meet all over the world in person to discuss. We now have over 60 chapters on six continents and a virtual chapter that meets via video conference. You can check out podcastbrunchclub.com to get involved. The theme for the October Podcast Brunch Club playlist was disruption. You can find the full playlist at podcastbrunchclub.com slash disruption. One of the four selections was an episode of the Disrupt Yourself podcast with Whitney Johnson. The episode we listened to was entitled Take the Right Kinds of Risks. I'm so thrilled to bring you this conversation between Whitney and I. Whitney is an absolute powerhouse. She is ranked on the Thinkers 50 list, which is a global ranking of the 50 leading management thinkers, and she's an expert on disruptive innovation and personal disruption, a framework she developed after co-founding the Disruptive Innovation Fund with Harvard Business School's Clayton Christensen. She's written a number of critically acclaimed books on the power of disruption in both the business and the personal realms. So welcome, Whitney. I'm so happy to have you on the Podcast Brunch Club podcast. Thank you, Adela. I'm super excited to be here. And thank you again for being interviewed for my podcast. People loved it. Oh, you're, you're very welcome. And I will go into a little aside. I have gotten a lot of people from just reaching out to me to start Podcast Brunch Club chapters from that discussion. So I should thank you for even letting me be on it. Love it. Love it. So let's start broad and tell us, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and the path you took to get where you are now? Okay. So a little bit about my background. Um, I grew up in California, pretty typical middle-class, white girl, middle-class background. Grew up in San Jose before it was Silicon Valley and studied music in college, went to Brigham Young University. And then it started to get interesting because when I graduated from college, my husband and I moved to New York so he could get his PhD. And I didn't want to do anything in music. We need to put food on the table. And it's like, well, what am I going to do now? And so here I was. It's the late 80s, early 90s and need to, um, need to work, but don't have any credentials to work 
because I'm a musician. I don't know anybody. I have zero, basically zero connections, very little confidence. And of course, I'm a woman. So I get a job as a secretary working on Wall Street. Hmm. What happened then, though, is that I would go to work every day and I'd sit across from this whole bullpen of young stockbrokers, all men, and aspiring masters of the universe, if only they can get people to open accounts. And so there's this huge pressure to open up accounts. This is the era of liars, poker, and working girl. So they say things like, throw down your pom-poms and get in the game. At first, I was a little bit offended because I was a cheerleader in high school. But after hearing Hmm. over and over again, thinking, "Hmm, I'm going to be working at least five years. My husband's PhD, it turns out, took seven years. Why would I make X when 10X is a possibility? And so after a couple of years, I realized it was time to throw down my pom-poms. And I wouldn't have known to call it this then because this was 25 (laughs) years ago. But that was really the beginning of me disrupting myself, which it turns out has become my life's work. So I started, you know, taking business courses at night, accounting, finance, um, had a boss who believed in me, which allowed me to move from secretary to investment banker. If you're in financial services, you know, that rarely happens. I then had two children, which is a very big disruption. My boss got fired in the midst of a merger shakeup. And so instead of basically staying where I was, they moved me, but really they shoved me into equity research, which turns out, so I was disrupted that time. I didn't disrupt myself. It turns out that was a career maker. I was really good at picking stocks, at being able to spot momentum, did that for about eight years. And then I chose to disrupt myself. I left Wall Street to become an entrepreneur, connected with Clayton Christensen, who's at the Harvard Business School. He wrote a book called The Innovator's Dilemma. And um, the idea is that a silly little thing can take over the world, like the telephone did to the telegraph, like the automobile did to the horse and buggy. And we've had now Netflix disrupt Blockbuster and Uber's disrupting cabs. And the big aha, the big insight for me started to be is that this theory wasn't just about products. It wasn't just about companies. It wasn't about countries even. It was also about people that we could disrupt ourselves, that this theory applied to us. And so that really sent me on this journey beginning sort of 2011, 2012, where I wanted to just chase down that idea is what does that look like when you disrupt yourself and and how do you do it? And why does it help you become a high growth individual when you disrupt yourself? And how does it help organizations when they have people who know how to disrupt themselves? The spoiler alert is, is that if people can disrupt themselves, you as an organization are far less likely to get disrupted. Wow. That's quite the wandering path. And I love it because, (laughs) I mean, I think it shows grit, you know, like that's another theme that sort of came up in some of the other episodes we listened to, especially with women, it seems like that, like we listened to an episode of How I Built This and uh, the episode we listened to was the one with Sarah Blakely from mm. uh Spanx. Hey. Oh yes, I'm a yeah. customer. Yeah, right. And she she just told her story about how she you know would just walk into department stores and pretend like she she worked there in order to get Spanx located near the register and how it just took this level of grit and just just moxie or I don't know what the word is but to 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 move the needle. And it seemed, yeah, it seems like a kind of a theme for women. It's an uphill battle sometimes, especially probably in the eighties and nineties when you were, when you were doing it. So that's great. But I want to, I want to bring it 
to a question about the word disruption. So as I was writing the introduction for our playlist this month, I was thinking how big of a buzzword disruption is. Um, so I wanted to ask you, how would you define disruption? I know that there's some some scholarly literature out there. I think Clayton Christensen is the one who probably coined the term. I think that's what Ralph, who curated the playlist, told me. Yeah. So that's right. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So um, you're right. It is a word that we hear a lot. And so the question often is, okay, well, what does it actually mean in terms of how it was originally when the term was coined? And so Clayton Christensen at the Harvard Business School, he wrote about this idea of um, disruptive innovation. And there are lots of different types of disruptive innovation, but disruptive innovation is when you have something that's at the low end of the market. So there's, there's basically this framework, right? So you've got uh, an entrance at the low end of the market. So think about Netflix in the 1990s. Initially, its products were kind of inferior. Its market position incredibly weak vis-a-vis Blockbuster. So at that point in time, Blockbuster could have absolutely crushed Netflix like a cockroach, but they didn't. And market leaders rarely bother because they look at Netflix or they look at that disruptor, that low-end disruptor, and say, it's just this silly little thing. It's it's no big deal. There is nothing mm-hmm. to worry about here. Let's go after bigger, higher margins, better. And they do. The bad news, though, or the good, if you're the disruptor, is that once you get that foothold in the market, you're also motivated by bigger, better, and so it goes. And so it just it repeats over and over again. But that's what the term disruptive innovation means, is it's a silly little thing that takes over the world. And a quick example from a personal perspective, so we've been talking about products and services, is Lady Gaga. So Lady Gaga, she, um, she's a master of personal disruption. For those of you who may not follow her music, you kind of know who she is. Well, everybody knows who she is, but here's her backstory. So in 2008, she starts, she goes to the top of the chart, so over 10 years ago. But when she gets to the top of the charts, what does she do for an encore? She jumps basically to the bottom of a new ladder, the bottom of a new chart, one that could easily have put off her fan base. So that silly little thing, she disrupts, disrupts herself. So what does she do? She collaborates with Tony Bennett on a jazz album. Mm-hmm. Like we're, this is Lady Gaga. Then she does a Sound of Music tribute, Sound of Music mm-hmm. at the Oscars, and she produces a country album. So these really like silly little, what is she doing that makes no sense at all, but those jumps paid off because her performance at the Super Bowl had the largest music audience ever. And now we all know a star is born. So that's what it looks like for an individual. It's this decision to step back to become a silly little thing because you believe that you will slingshot forward. And just for the for the geeks in the audience or that are listening, if you have this piece of graph paper and you think about this y-axis of doing things well and being successful on an x-axis of time, what you're doing when you're disrupting yourself is you're making that decision. Maybe you're on the y-axis that you're at a 10. And you've got this sort of trajectory in your career and your life of over one, up one, over one, up one. And that's what your life looks like. When you disrupt yourself, you make this very conscious decision to say, okay, I know I'm on, I'm at a 10 on that axis of success, but I'm going to move down two or three to seven, to eight, because I believe that if I will do that, that step back, then the slope of my line will be over one, up two, over one, up two. 
And so I will now be far more successful than I was before, but I have to be willing to take that step back first. That's what it looks like for a product, but that's what it looks like for us as people as well. And I imagine there's so much fear in that. I mean, we talked a lot when you and I talked for your podcast about fear and how that's such a hindrance to disrupting yourself. Absolutely. Because you're giving up a lot. I mean, you've got, you've got, you know, thinking, carrying through this idea of the ladder again, like you're at the top of the ladder, the top of a perch. And so when you jump off that, there's this moment of free fall and you're, you're losing your identity. You're losing, Mm -hmm. you know, possibly standing, you're possibly losing money. And so there is tremendous fear in doing that. And oftentimes people think, well, okay, I'm going to get over the fear by telling myself all these wonderful things that will happen if I will disrupt myself. And they might, but sometimes, Mm -hmm. and for most of us, we have to get motivated a little bit by thinking about what will we lose if we try to stand still, because we know Mm -hmm. from loss aversion theory that we're actually, this is Daniel Kahneman, thinking fast and slow. We're more motivated by what we lose than by what we gain. And so we're afraid, but sometimes the best way to motivate ourselves to jump is what will I lose if I don't? Yeah. I mean, for me, I feel like, and I I don't think that I've done the whole complete, you know, drop down, but for me, I also feel like if you can take the stigma out of it, if you can just say to yourself, nobody's watching me, nobody's got an eagle eye on me it's not going to matter. Like even if I take a step, that step back or those, those steps down, it's, it, and don't make it. I, like, I like, I kind of go in a way of my, my mentality is to tell myself like, what's the worst that can happen? And is that really that big of a deal? Is that really so horrible? You know, is anybody going to die? Is anybody, you know, no, the answer is no to those questions, those right. questions of, right. of the worst thing that could possibly happen. So therefore, if the answer is no, then why not do it? It's almost like psyching myself out, out of being afraid. Yeah, I like that. And also the other thing that's really helpful for me, Adela, more and more, because this is not something that's easy for me, it's probably why I study and think about it and write it because I want to be good at it, is to realize that we all fail all the time. We all take steps down. We all get pushed back in some way or another. And we bounce back. And so the question is, is in those instances where it's hard, usually there's some type of shame trigger. And so then that's Mm -hmm. an invitation for us to do some inner work and like, okay, so what is happening here? How is my ego tied up? And so even in that moment of being afraid, there's this opportunity for us to grow. It's a different kind of growth. It's an inner growth, but that's that's what personal disruption is about as well. It's not just, you know, take a step back in order to slingshot forward in your career. It's also take a step back in order, you know, to step back from who you are into who you could be. And that oftentimes involves stuff that we have to figure out how we're thinking, how we're feeling and our perspective and just how we're being in the world. And you actually brought up a really good point about shame, which is a perfect segue because I wanted to, you know, I was so honored and truly humbled that you invited me to be a guest on your podcast because you've had such huge names like Brene Brown. And that's why it's a good segue because Brene Brown has done a lot of research around around shame. But I wanted to kind of bring a conversation back to the podcast and how and like what prompted you to do a podcast? You know, what was why was that the best next move for you? And what are you hoping your audience gets out of it? Oh, I love that question. So I think there, as with anything, there were multiple um, motivations. Um, One of the motivations was that I had a number of years ago, 
and, and a number of people say this to me, and this is how you can actually know what your superpowers are, is to pay really close attention to the compliments that you receive from people, not deflect them, not ignore them. I had a number of people say to me they thought I was really good at interviewing, that I asked questions, that I was curious and, and about the people that I was talking to. And so I thought, you know, and I like doing this. Like, you know, I interviewed you. I, I really genuinely probably asked you more questions than you wanted me to, but I enjoy our ability to have this special moment in time where it's just you, it's just me, and we're having this conversation, and I get to learn about you and hear your story. And so I think that was the most compelling motivation for me to want to start the podcast, which has now been, I think, three years ago that I started. I don't think it's only been two. It might be mm -hmm. two. Definitely, it's two or three years. And so that was the, the first motivation. Now, from there, I think there have been things that have caused me to continue to want to do it or, or sort of upside surprises, if you will. One has been that I find in the interviewing that I hear all these really interesting stories. And so many of these stories have made their way into, for example, my book, Build an 18, that came out in May of 2018. Unexpected that I, there were going to be this, this basically research um, project for um, books that I'm writing. That was one unexpected upside. And I think another unexpected upside has been is that it's really a way for people who potentially want to work with us to be able to um, get to know me differently than they would be able to and get to know our work differently than they would be able to from simply reading the books. So those have been some upsides, but the motivation, Adela, was really this opportunity to just have these conversations because, because if we do them well, they can be very special moments, don't you think? Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the big realizations I've had through Podcast Brunch Club is just that the the thing that is different about Podcast Brunch Club is just the in-person side of it. You know, everybody's and I know you talk about this a lot, about play where no one else is playing. And I think that's what sort of is happening with Podcast Brunch Club is that people aren't really getting together in person. Like there's all these apps you can download. I've gone to conferences and people are like, oh, this app will be great for your club, you know, your club. And I always say to them, well, is it going to help me get people together in person? Because if it's not, then I, I you know, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get people together in person to have a face-to-face -face conversation, look each other in the eyes, put your your phone down. So yeah, I mean, I'm 100% on board with the conversation aspect. And I will also say that you, I mean, you are absolutely an excellent interviewer, but I will, I, I want to let the audience know that even before we started taping today, I was about to give Whitney sort of just the the overview of, you know, the questions I was thinking of asking. And she just stopped me. And she's like, Nope, don't tell me. I like it when it's just a conversation. And then if you tell me, then I'm going to start thinking about it. And it's going to not feel, you know, conversational. So she, ab you know, she's absolutely about, yeah, you're absolutely about the the conversation aspect of it. And I appreciate that. Because I think people get nervous on, you know, podcasts being yeah. recorded. Um, <laughs> of course we do. So but I, I always know that if I go into thinking mind, I get stilted and I just have to stay, stay in the moment. So that's, and it's true for all of us, I think. Yeah. So the episode that we listened to was number 100, which was called Take the Right Kinds of Risks, which is funny. I didn't even pick it because of this, but the episode that I did with you was also take the right kinds of risks. So it sort of worked out really well, but you did it differently. So the, typically I want to let everybody know that uh, Disrupt Yourself is is most often 
an interview podcast, like like Whitney just said. So she's had Brene Brown as a guest. She's had Adam Grant. She's had James Clear, and we're actually featuring an interview with James Clear from another on another podcast on this month's playlist as well. But this one you did a little differently. So it was only you, and you were sort of giving us. I think you framed it as there's a seven point framework and you went into depth on the first accelerant, which was taking the right kinds of risks. So can you give us an overview of the larger framework, the seven point? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I discovered, as I mentioned, is that, you know, people, people disrupt. And in fact, companies and organizations can't disrupt unless the people inside of them do. So in our research, we said, okay, well, that's true. You know, you go to the up, you know, the top, and then you jump to the bottom of a new ladder, et cetera. But how do you do that? How do you do it effectively, systematically, so that you're able to learn, leap, and repeat? And, and, and there's this process that, that you know, is codifiable and, and repeatable. And so in our research, what we found is that there are seven accelerants of personal disruption. The first is taking the right kinds of risks. And what do I mean when I say that? Well, there are different kinds of risks you can take. There's competitive risk and then there's market risk. So competitive risk is, you know, there's an opportunity, you know, there's a job posting for you. So, you know, there's a job, but there's also a lot of other people applying for that job because there's a job posting. So that's taking on competitive risk. And we know from disruption theory that the odds of success are much lower when you go and take competitive risk. On. But then the other kind of risk that we're advocating for is market risk. And that is where you don't know if there's a market where you're playing where no one else is playing. You don't know if there's going to be demand for you or your products or services. But if there is, at least initially, there's no competition. And that's where your odds of success are six times higher. And so what I've done in this podcast, and I'll walk through the other accelerants really quickly, is in this particular episode, it's just a little bit under 30 minutes and just talk in depth. It's a solo episode where I talk about how do you take the right kinds of risks? What does it look like for you, whether you're looking for a job, whether you're inside of a company and just look at it from lots and lots of different viewpoints. And so it's very much, I'm very much teaching mode for you as you're trying to think about taking the right kinds of risks, taking on market risk in your career. So that's the first accelerant, play where no one else is playing, take the right risks. <clears throat> Excuse me, the second accelerant builds on that as you kind of in your mind envision this sort of S going up is you're playing to your distinctive strengths. So not only what you do well, but also what you do well that other people around you don't. Um, and strengths are something that's interesting because we think, oh, well, of course I'll play to my strengths. But oftentimes we don't, in part because we don't really know what they are. But even when we do, because it's easy or reflexive for us, we don't value those strengths. And so we don't want to play to them. Although we do, but it's sort of inadvertently and, and not deliberately. And so when you're willing to play to your strengths and you'll feel strong because you're playing to your strengths, then you're willing to play where no one else is playing. And so it allows you to gain momentum as you're trying to disrupt yourself. The third accelerant is to embrace your constraints. So as you're moving up this S um, in terms of disruption, so we talk about this S curve of learning and you move along that S curve of learning and then when you get to the top of that S curve, you jump to the bottom of a new one. Well, the third accelerant of moving along that S curve is to embrace your constraints. As you start to move up, you think, okay, good, I'm playing to my strengths and I'm playing where no one else is playing and I'm gaining momentum now. Now, if I could get more money or time or expertise, or I could get more people to buy into what I'm doing, then I could really gain momentum. 
but it's actually a law of physics that in order to gain momentum, we need something to push against. We need to have Mm. some friction. And so what I talk about is the importance of looking at your constraints, embracing them, and recognizing that those constraints are actually a tool of creation. So that's going to allow you as you push against that, bump up against that, gain momentum. The number four, this is the hardest one. It's right at that fulcrum of your of your learning curve, and that is to battle our sense of entitlement. Lots of different ways to think about this. For me, it means at its most basic level, it's the belief that you, um, or my belief that my ideas, my feelings, um, just who I am fundamentally takes preference over you or the person to my right or to left in front of me or behind me. It's also the belief that, um, that I may not be as important. So that, you know, other people matter more than me or I matter more than other people. And when we do that, it causes all sorts of problems and we're all entitled. We all do it. It's a human condition. It comes in many guises. And so it's just a matter of figuring out how to battle that sense of entitlement. The best way to battle it is when you're starting to gain momentum is to continue to ask yourself, what could I do, be doing differently? What am I missing? How can I change? How can I be different? How can I be more open to feedback that people give to me as opposed to not being open to it? And am I willing to try something new? So all different ways of battling time. And one that's a really basic one is when we show up late for meetings, we're being entitled because we're basically saying that our time is more valuable than the other person. So And it's really hard to do. I struggle with it all the time. But when we are willing to show up on time for meetings, then we're saying, you know what? Your time is important. My time is important. Let's start this meeting on time. So that's number four. Number five is step back to grow. We've kind of talked about this already is this idea of when you step back, it can be a slingshot. You crouch before you jump. You bring a fist back to punch. Personal disruption involves moving sideways down Frequently, observers think you've lost your mind. That's a good sign that you're stepping back. You step back in order to grow. The number six is give failure its due. That the reason I talk about it that way is that we all fail all the time. The question is, is and, and my failures include lots of really fun, not fun things like bombing speeches in front of hundreds of people, being fired, and you know, backing investing in businesses that imploded, which is really embarrassing because you know I'm supposed to be a savvy investor. So um, the question is, is that it's not failure that's actually the problem because we need to fail. It's part of the iterative process. Question is, is it's it's really shame that limits disruption, not failure. And we've talked about this already. Is how do you use failure as a constraint, a tool of creation? And when you do find that you're struggling with shame. What do you do with that? And again, this is an opportunity for you to step back from who you are and to who you can be. And the number seven is to be driven by discovery. Because as a disruptor, you're in search of a market that's not yet defined. Because again, you're taking on market risk and you, you have this idea of what you want to do. You know why you want to do it. But again, you don't know how you're going to get there. And Corn Ferry did this um, research that said that the leading predictors of C-suite success or this ability to take a step forward, to gather feedback, and adapt. And so whether you're at the top of the curve or the bottom of the curve or anywhere in between, you want to be driven by discovery. So those are the seven accelerants. So you take the right risks, then you play to your distinctive strengths. That allows you to be willing to take the right risks. You embrace the constraints because those are going to give you momentum. You battle your sense of entitlement, ask, what could I be doing differently so that I can continue to accelerate up the curve? You step back in order to slingshot forward. You give those mistakes that you're making all along this opportunity and, and, and as a way, 
constraint that allows you to grow and get even better because the whole idea is to become a high growth individual. That's why you disrupt yourself in the first place. And then again, at the top of the curve, at the bottom of the curve, you are driven by discovery. So that's the framework of personal disruption. It helps you become a high growth individual. And when you're a high growth individual, the organizations that you work for can become high growth organizations. So that's the basic framework. I know you've written two books recently. There's the Disrupt Yourself book. And that might not be that recent, but the more recent one is the A-Team book. Is the is this framework written out in depth in one of those books? Yeah, it is. In fact, it's super exciting because we're republishing it beginning in November of 2019 with Harvard Business Press with a new introduction. So, um, so if you want to just dive into this, in addition to listening to you know episodes 100 and 120 on the podcast, you can read the book. It's a quick read. Lots of stories that really walk you through each of those accelerants. If you're saying, you know what, I'm growing well, but I want to grow even more. This is a book that can help you do that. Great. I will definitely include that in the show links. So I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I kind of have a a question for you that we try to ask all of our guests. And I don't, I did not prepare you for this. So I usually try to prepare people for this one, but I didn't (gasps) for you. So I'm putting you on the spot a little um, and you can give it some time to think about, or we could, we could reframe it if you want. But so this is podcast brunch club at some point during almost every meeting, we stop talking about the playlist and we start talking about the podcast that we're loving lately. So do you have a podcast recommendation for the podcast brunch club community? You are not going to like my answer. <laughs> I, I, I'll love your answer as long as it's a recommend. I mean, and it doesn't even have to be a podcast. If you want to recommend a book or something like that, that's totally fine too. I know I put you on the spot. Yeah, it's so. totally fine. So I don't know what you want to do with this, but I, I love interviewing people, but I don't listen to podcasts that much, um, which I know is crazy. And so now I'm like feeling incredibly embarrassed because I read books voraciously. So um, some books that I'm reading, so I don't know what you want to do with that one, Adela. Um, that's fine. Some books that I'm reading, one that I'm really loving is a book called Trillion Dollar Coach. It's by Eric Schmidt and Jonathan Rosenberg and Alan Eagle. Um, the Leadership Handbook of Silicon Valley's Bill Campbell. Really interesting to understand his coaching style. He, you know, was coaching people at Google and and Facebook and and his approach, having been a former college football coach at Columbia University. So that's been a really interesting book for me to read. And then another book that I recently read that I have been just fascinated by is a book called Leadership and Self-Deception by the Arbinger Institute, which I have loved in part because basically what they say is that every time we have an instinct or an impulse to serve someone else and we don't serve them and help them, and, and um, this is sort of goes to the entitlement idea, every time we don't do that, we're actually betraying ourselves. Just super interesting to me. So hmm. you or I have an impulse to help someone else and we don't, we have betrayed our sense of self. This, again, back to this entitlement, this sense of, you know, inherent value or dignity of a human being. And so that's been a really interesting book. It's written kind of in a parable style, super fascinating, recommend both of those books. And then I guess the other thing I want to do, because I don't want to just recommend books by men, I feel like it's important to recommend (laughs) books by women as well. Um, Have really loved Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. We've talked about her Really love, um, I just read Nancy Duarte's book, Data Story, who I interviewed for the podcast. And then another book that I think is excellent 
is a 24-6 by Tiffany Schlein. She is uh, culturally Jewish, and for the last, I think, about 10 years, she and her family have practiced technology Shabbat. And um, she talks about her experience of doing that and not doing it really for religious reasons, but um, the experience and the research where they found that by a willingness to unplug for one day, their productivity has actually gone up in those six days when they are plugged in. So really interesting, quick um, read. So those are my recommendations um, for books that I'm reading that I would um, highly, highly recommend. Great. I will also include those in the show notes. So before we wrap up, where can people find more found out, find out more about you? Website, Twitter, or whatever? You know what, Adela, I think the easiest way um, is just to go to my website, WhitneyJohnson.com. You can find the podcast there um, if you want to listen to more episodes. Um, you know, we've talked about a number of those episodes on our, in this conversation today, and I think that's probably the best place to start. Um, if you feel like you want to reach out and connect with me, you can reach out at WJ at WhitneyJohnson.com. Um, and happy, I answer all my emails. Um, but I think given that we're talking to podcast listeners, I would start with um, listening to some podcasts and just seeing if they they appeal to you, you find them useful. Excellent. I will put all of that stuff in the show notes. I'll also link out to all of the episodes we referred to today so that it'll be easy for people to find. Thank you so much, Whitney. This is lovely as usual. And I hope to see you again soon when you're in Chicago. Oh, well, thank you, Adela. Thanks for having me. And I just, like I, I said, when I interviewed you, you, I love how you're playing where no one else is playing and taking the right risks, a true disruptor. So thanks again for having me. Hey, Steve here from the Minneapolis PBC with a few credits. First off, please rate and review our podcast on your podcast player of choice. The music you heard today is downloaded from freemusicarchive.org, and this episode featured music from Chad Crouch with their song Rainbow. The ad music at the top of the show is from Ms. Algana with their song Paradise. Podcast Brunch Club is organized by a woman I can't praise enough, Adela. Sarah Da Silva is our other podcast host, the leader of the Houston chapter of PBC, and the founder of Audible Feast. Thanks to Jenna Spinelli, leader of our online PBC chapter. She also writes many articles for the PBC website. Check them out. Lastly, audio editing is done by me, Steve Zampanti. You can connect with me on my website, conceptualpodcasting.com. Thanks, and happy listening! <laughs>